0: It's obvious that a subject like courage is huge, open-ended, has tons of nuance, tons of uh, derivations and and ramifications and significations in our lives. So there was no way we were going to do it justice in the space of an hour, but goddamn, we tried. And with guests like Dave Hartman and Doug Dodge, it was um, a really easy discussion to have. Um, not to say that we closed out the discussion. We got a lot more ground we could have covered, but um, it was a great starting place. I was incredibly grateful to have uh, the two combat veterans on here. I think I'm safe in speaking for Dave Hartman to say that Doug Dodge really fucked Dave and me up with his stories. Uh, he, Doug was um, one of only two people to survive Uh, the incident that earned Sergeant Al Cash the Medal of Honor. His description of that story, his description of Al Cash as a person, and who Al Cash was and the kind of leader he was, is something that everyone should know and a lot of us can learn from. So come for the discussions, the philosophical discussions on courage. Stay for Doug Dodge's uh, deep dive into Al Cash And his Medal of Honor uh, uh, actions. His Medal of Honor worthy actions, I should say. Full disclosure, I'm super sleep deprived. So, I'm not at my most articulate, but it's not going to matter. Doug and Dave are at the top of their game. And um, uh, this was an episode, I'm not going to lie, that pushed me as close to tearing up as any episode we've done yet. So, I think you guys are going to, uh, this is going to be one that you're going to remember for a long time. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is The Weekly Havoc. Welcome to this episode of The Weekly Havoc, where we engage in a roundtable discussion with the staff and writers at Havoc Journal. Try to make a little order. Out of chaos, Dave Hartman is an Army and Army Reserve officer from 1994 to 2006. He had one wild year in Afghanistan, 2003 to 04, and a car wreck on in Bagram three days before coming home ended his Army career. Today, he is a civil engineer, consulting in private practice with a thriving firm. He's married and has three grown children. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you very much. Douglas Dodge served as an infantryman until medically retired after 24 years. He has combat tours to Somalia, Haiti in 94, and two tours in Iraq. He's married with five children, ages 24, 23, 18, and twin six-year-olds. That's a hell of a spread. And he's currently working on a book of short stories and poems about love, war, PTSD, and relationships. Doug, thanks a million for being here. Yep, thanks for having me on. And welcome. It's your first time too. So more to come. Well, I hope so. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll we'll be here hopefully long enough that we give you enough time to finish the book and you can come back on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We'll have a race. See see which one of us can last longer, you know, uh, and we'll work that out. Okay. So guys, let me cut to the chase. Uh, As I told you up front, my caveat, I'm a little sleep deprived. So bear with any brain farts and malaprops that I throw out there. Um, especially because this subject is a is a sober one um doesn't mean it's a downer but it's a very serious subject and one that is always timely what is courage and here's kind of uh i'm not gonna lie here's how we got to this subject mostly because charlie faint owner of havoc journal um who everyone who's a regular listener knows uh lines up our guests and he was like boy do i have the guests for this subject matter or the subject matter for these guests. And so he just put that together and I was like, well, I'll never get tired of doing an episode on courage. There's so many avenues to go down and, and so much rich material to mine with that, um, that I, you know, I'm happy just to have some people we can play tennis with here and bat this idea around a little bit. So Dave, I want to start with you. Um, Let's just start with the 30,000 foot view. Uh, your kids, when they were younger, you know, uh, come up to you and they uh, say, hey, dad, what's courage? What comes to your mind? What's your easy matchbox, you know, or a matchbook cover description of courage? Well, I would say doing what needs to be done, even
1: if you're scared or terrified, you generally in your gut know what action needs to be taken, what, what needs to be done. And it can be scary. You know, it can be a little bit scary. It can be downright terrifying. And to me and, you know, to our family courage has always meant doing it anyway. Um, that we always told our kids don't, it's okay to be scared. It's perfectly fine. Just don't let that fear control you. Um, and that's, that's courage
0: in a nutshell. Do you need to be afraid for there to be courage?
1: I don't think so. Um, Sometimes, well, often, they go hand in hand. But, you know, in situations that take initiative or you might be doing something that nobody has any frame of reference for or is unexpected, doing that anyway is also courageous in my
0: book. Doug, what do you think? What's your take on it?
2: Um, I think Dave just nailed it on the head. Um, I think the hardest thing about being courageous is, like you said, the fear. Um, It doesn't matter what situation or if it's physical or mental, um, mentally strenuous on you, Um, just overcoming that emotion and just doing what's right.
0: Let me ask you on the hierarchy of values that a person should have, Doug, where is courage? Is it the most important quality you should have? Is it Second, third, where where do you place it in the hierarchy of your values? That's a tough
2: question. Um, because I think that's, there right, that's why I didn't give any you any time to, to think that. about it. Yeah, I just <laughs> threw it at you
0: and empty yeah, you yeah. out on it.
2: Uh, well, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Welcome to the Welcome show. To the show. <laughs> right. Um, it's, I think we everyone has a different perspective on what courage is or a skewed sense of what courage is. Um, so therefore, um, I would say that everybody has courage and they might not think that they're being courageous. Um, like uh, kids in school who get bullied who still go to school or you know, um, the person who goes to the store and buys a bunch of food and forgets to pay for an item, notices it when they walk out and they walk back in and they say, hey, I, I failed to pay for this purchase. Or it could be something simple like that. Or it could be as uh, strenuous and physically and mentally strenuous as running down the middle of the street in an ambush to police up your buddy who got shot, even though you know that you could probably be killed. I mean, those are like kind of two extreme ends of that spectrum, but um, I think it's an important value to have, but I think that people don't really realize how courageous everybody is.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I you know what I wonder also, Doug, is you know, sometimes well, let me ask you, is courage in the eye of the beholder? I mean, sometimes, you know, we might look and we might see, god, that guy's man, he's doing stuff I never could do, and all that while to him eh, it's kind of run of the mill or or he wasn't thinking about it or he was doing maybe the right thing, but for the wrong reasons, like maybe if you're that person that realizes you walked out of a store without paying for something, you go back not because there's any moral courage in it, but you go back because there's an extreme sense of guilt. So it's a negative uh, call to action. It's not a a positive affirmation of some courageous trait.
2: Yeah, I think you're fair? right. I think there is like a like a spectrum of what each and every person believes uh, what courage. Means or should be. Um, and people who have not had a lot of ad- adversity in their life, something very small may seem very courageous to them. Where people who've had to live with adversity their entire lives, you know, um, that's just your everyday run-of-the-mill normalcy for them. Um, and therefore, it would take something really extreme, really, in their eyes to view something as courageous. So, yeah, I think you're right that. Uh, there's like a big spectrum of what courage means to everybody.
0: Yeah. I think if Dave, if we divide courage based off the examples we're kind of throwing around, I think we can probably divide them into two buckets, two general buckets of like physical acts of courage and uh, moral acts of courage. I guess Uh, I, I don't think, I'm trying to think if there's like an emotional courage or anything like that. I I suppose there is, but let's say physical versus non-physical forms of courage. Um, unfair question, but I'll ask it anyway. Which one is more important? Well, I
1: I think one feeds off the other. I think they come from the same part of your lizard brain, really. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. Since getting out of the army, I've been living the Ward Cleaver life, and even when I was in, you know, I never. I never fired a shot in anger. I was that guy, you know, we, we ran around and did some pretty gnarly stuff and got shot at, but you know, I've, I've never run and retrieved a buddy under fire. Um, but physical courage, I think is, is really, it comes from the same place. Um, when you just say to hell with it and do what's right, you know, consequences be damned. And there's probably a lot of you know, very courageous, very dead people, because it generally yeah. does, you know, physical courage generally puts you in harm's way. Um, but in the same token, moral courage is not to be discounted at whatsoever. Um, I think, you know, you look at what was that Marine Lieutenant Colonel Stu Scheller who wound up resigning this week after demanding accountability, oh, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. That's and I don't right. to pretend to know the whole story, but. You know, I would say doing what he did, that's, you know, morally courageous, whether it's right or wrong. I, I don't know. History will tell again. I don't know the whole story, but sure. And you know, in my line of work as a consultant, I think ethics and courage play in the same emotional pool, really, um, because we have in the course of doing our work, I've been there for 21 years, we've had to fire a few clients and I don't you don't succeed in the private sector by firing the people that pay your bills, but it's always been over ethics and there's been a debate usually with every single one, like do we need, can we do this? Should we do this? But the act of doing that takes money away from us, our firm, you know, our business and ultimately my family. So I think you kind of have to, if you have a good habitat, if you have a good, if you lay the groundwork for being courageous by, you know, having something to fall back on or, you know, having life insurance or, or that sort of thing, it's, it's a little easier to be courageous at least from, you know, on that side of the coin.
0: Yeah, I guess, um, I, you know, I'm, 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 not gonna lie. I'm kind of stuck thinking about what you said about it, both physical and moral courage coming from the lizard part of our brain. And I'm trying to think if, how much or how little I agree with that. Doug, what do you think? Does that make sense to you that they're both coming from that same mindset or do you think they do come from a different place?
2: Um, I think they are intertwined as well. I think that you have to have that moral courage to be able to physically be courageous. I think you have to come up with the the thought of doing something before you physically act on it. Um now, I do think that it's going to be varied on, um, I think it's harder to overcome the moral, the, the mental courage part. Um, I, can, I can tell you from personal experience, there's been a, a lot of, more, more than not times that I've had to do things that I had to take a one second quick breath you know, and steady myself, and then jump into the fray of something on the battlefield or not. Um, before I did something that was physically strenuous and very difficult, and um, but I had to steady my mental courage first. I had to kind of get myself into that headspace. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though it may have only taken a fraction of a second, I can I can go back and tell you specific moments in my life that i've had to take a one second pause and actually think for just that split second okay here i go and then go do it um but after i had that one second pause and got myself there mentally my body just went straight into doing the actions necessary you know to do whatever it was um and i didn't think of it again
0: so I want to ask you about some of those moments, um, but I guess before I do, I want to throw out there, it seems like anybody that demonstrates a lot of courage routinely, that is constantly pushing themselves, overcoming different hurdles, has, let's call it a good operating system. They've figured out what works for them, what motivates them. There's a kind of muscle that's developed that they um, – a muscle memory maybe is more appropriate to say that's developed where they go, okay, this is how I need to think about this. This is how I need to approach this uh, problem set. And this is how I need to steel myself. And that those grooves can become worn and you can start to and, – and it really does become muscle memory. Um, What is – if you agree with that construct, Doug, what is your operating system? What makes you – What is it that makes you – what do you cling to in those moments to remind yourself, oh, yeah, hey, be courageous. Yeah, go forward. Don't go backwards. What is it that motivates you or or underpins you to those kind of decisions?
2: Honestly, I I think I can say that in a lot of those extreme circumstances, it wasn't me saying to myself, I need to be courageous. It was, I need to do this to – save somebody's life i need to do this or we're all going to die i need to do this or the situation is going to become worse and it was more survival or survival of the people around me that prompted my actions more than me saying i'm courageous i'm going to go do this um so i think it's subjective to what the stimulus
0: is to you um on what those actions might be so let's talk specifics. What instance comes to mind first for you when you think about those oh shit moments that, that you had to take that that quick tactical pause, steal yourself, and then go forward?
2: Uh, well, one instance for sure, um, in Iraq in 2005, we were coming off of a patrol slash raid um, that was unsuccessful and we were moving back and we were in a mechanized unit, but we were dismounted at the time. We were moving back to our vehicles. And just before making contact with the, uh, the Bradley's to remount those, uh, we came under, it was a complex ambush, basically three positions to the South, North and East or south, east, and West of us. I mean, um, an RPK and a couple a PKM and a, a AK 47 and, uh, We had one soldier instantly was shot and was in the middle of the street. My squad was to the uh, north, and my my roommate's squad was to the south. Um, Started returning fire, assessing the situation. Nobody could really tell what was going on because there was so many, you know, it was complex. Um, So we were just trying to get our squads to basically suppress where we knew the fires were coming from, and I noticed that this guy, uh, Specialist Bavard, was laying in the middle of the street, not moving, the other squad was in worse contact than my squad was. I had some freedom with one of my teams, um, got my saw gunner to suppress, and I uh, radioed my platoon sergeant who had the medic in his vehicle, and I said, hey, this guy's in the middle of the street. We need to get him. And he said, okay, I'm letting the medic out. So I ran to the back of his vehicle. The medic looked at me, and his eyes were as big as dinner plates. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. and I just I looked at him, and I just took a breath, and I said, well, you're ready. And he said, "Yep." And we sprinted fifty meters down the middle of the road in the middle of the firefight. Rounds whooping all around, snagged him up, and that was the fastest. I, I can't tell you how fast it was—like a NASCAR pit stop. <laughs> we snatched him up, ran him back to the Bradley, and then, uh, and then uh, my platoon sergeant took it upon himself to take his one Bradley drive to the entire town and medevac this guy calling it in on the way on the fly. But, um, yeah, it was like a one second, okay, this is what's going to happen. Uh, and it was just out of necessity. I didn't want, it was a sitting duck out there and I knew, you know, minutes matter in those situations. Yeah. yeah.
0: How, how much of your decision making in that moment? And obviously it's a pretty gut feeling that you're going with. You're not sitting there analyzing it, but to now look back with hindsight, How much of that instinct was because you were in a leadership role and felt an obligation? Would you have made that same decision if you were an E3 and had just been ordered back to go with the medic? Would anything have been different or would you have done the same thing? That's a very good question. Um,
2: I think it's both. I think it was because I was in a leadership position and uh, just because I felt like it was morally what needed to be done to help save somebody's life. Um, because I, I, I've, I've not been in that bad of a situation before, uh, that in Iraq, although I was in some stuff in Somalia and I had seen some people who were not in leadership positions do things, uh,
0: just as, uh, courageous. So I think it is a mixture of both. Dave, how learned in your opinion is courage? Is it something that, um, that you can develop? Is it something that you innately have? How much is nature? How much is nurture in your opinion? I, I
1: think it's both. Uh, I think you can certainly, you know, it's, it's contagious. You know, like Doug was saying, it's, you know, if you're surrounded by good leaders, if you're surrounded by courageous people that, you know, routinely do the right thing, consequences be damned. It's, it's certainly easier to be courageous. It's never easy, you know, in those situations, but it, it kind of, you know, like, it lays that groundwork for being courageous. Um, but I, I think some of it is, is just the way you're wired too. Um, you're either super self-protective or sur- super, concerned about that, or you have an internal switch that, you know, the, the act of doing what is right is a slightly higher priority than the, the concern for self-preservation.
0: Um, yeah. So I, I hate to be wishy-washy, so, but, but I would say it's both. I'm gonna uh, I'm, I'm gonna take the scenic route to make a point here. Um, Dan Gable, one of the greatest college wrestlers of all time, um, was undefeated in his college career, and the very last match. If I, I believe I'm getting all this right, but the gist I think is is right. Uh, the very last match of his college career, he lost, so he did not end his college career undefeated. And he then went on to become an Olympic champion. Um, And, uh, you know, set a whole bunch of records and all that. And he said, in retrospect, that loss, that last, that final loss was the greatest gift he could have gotten because it, it gave him that chip on his shoulder, that regret that made him go and win Olympic medals um, shortly thereafter. I say that with our discussion on courage to, to ask you, Dave. Is there a value, especially early in life, in experiencing acute personal cowardice and learning from that and developing a distaste for that, and or a distaste about yourself? Um, is there a certain kind of perverse value in that, especially early on, as an educational tool?
1: I I would think so. Um, mainly, as it correlates to other emotions and feelings and experiences and stuff like that. You, you know, a person's a way better driver after they've right. had an accident. Um, a, a person frequently, you know, has the drive to succeed in a event or a sporting event like Dan Gable, you know, after they've, they've tasted failure. And I've, I've had the same conversation with multiple teenagers, not only my own. It's like, when talking about success. It's like, Hey, you know, you don't just, succeed right off the bat, you know, the people that can get back up after getting kicked in the teeth and still keep going and keep going. That's truly success. And you don't often see that in the background. Um, But I would say yes, if you have that sting, you know, to to have that failure in the background, it, it would absolutely help motivate somebody. I crashed and burned my first semester in college quite bad. And then Kind of pulled myself up by my bootstraps and and did pretty well after that. But that was a that was a hard crash. And again, not even in the same universe as you know these other various courageous and dangerous things that we're talking about. But I I think
0: yes. Is well, the let, let to me that let me then pull it into the into the realm of what we're talking about. And I'm I'm going to ask you a question that uh, <laughs> you can turn around and throw back at me if you want. Um, but I'll I'll throw it out there to you first. Have you ever felt distinctly? cowardly has there ever been a moment where you're like boy i really shat the bed on that and and that did not that 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 is i'm not proud of that moment has that if you had that i would say mm-hmm. not since i was a
1: kid i and it's probably you know i've been lucky privileged call it whatever you want but yeah i i've tried to live my life for decades you know doing doing the right thing assuming you know that we can bear all the consequences
0: it's interesting I'll, I'll tell you where i'm coming from when i when i ask you that and I, again i was kind of putting you on the spot but um i'll give it a little bit of context uh i remember <clears throat> god i think i was just out of college or maybe no maybe it's just out of high school i can't really remember but it was uh, i was younger um but i was uh i i was you know, physical and I like doing physical things and I liked working out and all that and all the things that you would look, if you were just to look, you'd go, oh yeah, that's an athletic, you know, uh, uh, I don't know to say militantly minded person, but you know, somebody it's like, yeah, they'll, they'll do the right thing. They're, they're a good example of, you know, you know, doing the right thing and, and taking the right actions and all that. And I remember I was taking a train back into the city. I was living in New York city um, where I was raised. And uh, some guy was staring at me on the train, and um, I was reading a book, and I kept looking up, and he was just fixed, like not even hiding it, like teeth bared, just staring at me. And um, you know, he looked like I—he I, didn't look like he was on drugs. It wasn't that kind of look, but it was—it was something where it was a foreign entity. It was holy crap! What is this? You know, strange animal um, looking at me. And he just started, you know, I I, I just slowly and subtly making, you know, like the throat cutting sign and things like that. I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I actually think I was reading, if I remember right, I think I was reading a book about Navy SEALs. This was like in the early 90s and all that. But I was reading a book about about them and I was sitting there and I was going, I'm not, I don't want to fight this guy. And I'm sitting here reading all these stories about courage literally in my hand and going, but I don't want to fight this guy. And I don't know what's going on here. And when the train doors opened, um, I kind of made the tactical decision of letting a lot of people come between me and him. And uh, as we you kind of got off the the uh, train in, in Grand Central Station at the time, uh, there was kind of a walkway that would go for about 50, 80 meters and then filter out into the open um, area of grand central station. And he was waiting by one uh, alcove and just staying there and just looking back and staring, looking for me. And I, uh, I made the decision that I, obviously I still remember to this day. So I, I think it had some impact to go out a different alcove. Now, There's a part of me that when I came time to do security clearances and go through my SF eighty six in the military and all that, and they ask about you know uh, and I think some of the interviews I did in the military for different assignments, you know, they they asked about you know my record and and you know had you ever been arrested? Have you ever been in uh, fights? Had you ever you know had something where the police were involved? And I remember thinking of that particular incident and going well, I guess that looks good on my SF 86 because I don't have to explain anything. There was no incident. And I could also look and go, that might've been the right answer. I didn't physically engage with him. I wasn't mentally prepared to be fighting and didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I was completely thrown, but you know, I, I made the right decision. I put a lot of bodies between me and him and I went out a different alcove and avoided any kind of issue. Um, I'm, Reminded at the risk of being way too literary and, and frou-frou for this kind of podcast, but I'm reminded of, of Falstaff's famous speech in Henry the Fourth, Part One, where he pretends he's dead so that all the soldiers on the battlefield run past him, and then he gets up and delivers that famous speech about uh, uh, the better part of valor being discretion. In other words, you're excused for being a coward because, hey, this worked out, and this is really this. Actually, I am being courageous because I was making the right decisions, and and look how this all played out for me. And for me, that became a spurring moment. Uh, and I don't mean to make this all about me, but I'm I'm kind of opening up because hopefully I'm going to con you guys into sharing deeply personal things as well, or uh, sh- shortly. So I'm I'm going to go first and ante up, but uh, but for me, that was a seminal moment where I was like, never again am i going to be that guy that was unprepared and that and i'm willing to also admit that may not be the right decision because nowadays maybe i'd walk towards that guy and maybe i'd get in a fight and maybe i'd get hurt or maybe we'd get arrested or and that would go on my record and maybe i wouldn't be able to get you know x y and z knock on effects that might occur from that kind of thing but internally my my soul for lack of a better word was deeply disturbed that i didn't have the, uh the courage in that moment and that made a deep and lasting impact so Doug I'll pivot to you now and see how much you want to take the plunge can you relate to that story are you repelled do you want to leave this podcast right now what's your what's your general takeaway from that and can you relate and what is the right answer what is where does courage end and stupidity begin um well to
2: um tag on to the end of your story about you what happened with you i think it was courageous that you did not um try to get into an altercation with this guy um sometimes courage is not doing what most people would do um because who knows what the outcome would have been and that's and that's as you said, looking back, you're like, well, great, you know, at least this didn't happen and I didn't get arrested or, you know, whatever, or I didn't get injured. Um, And um, having been through a lot of therapy, (laughs) um, (laughs) your therapist call that hindsight bias, where you have the benefit of seeing the outcome. So you kind of hypothesize, well, you know, hey, you know, and that's, like the armchair quarterback, you know, like, man, you should have thrown it to the other receiver, you know, he's wide up. And well, you have the benefit of seeing what happened. you know, you're not there in the moment. And I think that's what was courageous about your decision was you decided I could go over here and maybe I'll kick this guy's ass. Maybe you'll kick my ass. Who knows? But it was better that you didn't. The outcome was uh, preferable basically. Um, and I, I can relate um um in in the end, have like I said, having gone through trauma therapy over this, um I can say now that I was not being um a coward, but for a decade, I have felt like a coward over an incident that happened in Iraq um a very famous incident now. Um, my platoon sergeant sergeant first class Alan Cash is was a... Uh, the president signed his medal of honor, um, this year and hopefully will be awarded this year and I will be there when that happens at the White House. Um, I was in Sergeant Cash's vehicle. I was one of his, uh, one of the soldiers that was, I was also wounded. I was also, uh, knocked unconscious and I was on fire. We were trapped in the vehicle for, I don't know how long, a very long time, um, because the driver was injured. There was no way to get out, um, I managed to get the troop door open using a hooli tool after I tried to open it prior and I burned my hands because everything was on fire. But, um, a long story short, I had been knocked unconscious. My head was split open, even though I was wearing a helmet. Um, I got out of the vehicle, um, was concussed. Uh, didn't know it was in shock. Didn't know what was going on. My uniform and my equipment was still on fire and I managed to get it all off. Um, But cut to a few minutes later, I'm not really knowing what's going on, and Sergeant Cash shows up at the back of the vehicle. And he had uh, extinguished the driver who had been on fire. And in doing so, he had caught on fire. And when he came to me at the back of the vehicle, and I turned and looked at him, and this is at 2 in the morning in a sandstorm in Iraq, and the only light is the flaming Bradley. Um. I looked at Sergeant Cash and all he was wearing was his boots, his helmet, and his body armor because everything had to been burned off of him. So 80 to 90% of his body is third degree burns. And he looks at me and says, where are the boys? And I just kind of look at him and look at the Bradley. Without thinking, he climbs into the Bradley. And so as soon as that happened, I climbed into the Bradley. And I ran into with somebody, a soldier, I'm not going to name his name, Uh, because this is like one of the hardest things it's been for me to get over. Anyways, I grabbed this soldier and we kind of somersaulted. I somersaulted us both through the troop door onto the ground and um, he was still on fire. And he got up and started running. Um, And in that moment, I knew that I still had fuel on me and I knew that if I tried to put him out, I might reignite. And so I hesitated And told him, stop, drop, and roll. You know, put the flames out. And he jumped on the ground and started rolling. He yelled, I'm rolling, I'm rolling, I'm rolling. But after rolling for about 30 seconds, he just stopped. He just gave up. And he was still on fire. And I finally jumped up. And I jumped on top of him. And I extinguished all the flames. Um, And I know it was only 30 to 45 seconds. But I really kicked myself in the ass for the last 15 years feeling like I should have done more because he ended up dying at Brook army medical center after we all made it back to the States as did most, there's only two of us that survived, um, our, our wounds. Um, so I, I felt like a coward for over a decade. I felt like I didn't do everything that I could have done. Um, but I do know, after having gone through lots and lots and lots and lots of trauma therapy, um, I was concussed. I was wounded. I knew what was going to happen. I And I did go into Bradley to help other people, and I did get him out. So I wasn't a coward. Yes, I felt like a coward because I felt like I could have done more. Um, but, you know, in the moment, I don't have the hindsight of knowing... What would have happened? I mean, he was already so severely wounded. What would 30 seconds have made? You know, who knows?
0: And also, to be fair, in your defense, you assessed that you had fuel on you and you were going to only complicate the issue by jumping on him. So there was actually a lot of tactical thinking that you were doing um, that is, I think we've clarified, is entirely separate from cowardice. That hey, if I'm just going to make this worse, then what really is the right answer here, right? True, um, and I think it's the the
2: the the way I felt was also compounded by the contrast to Sergeant Cash's actions because in the time of me um, dealing with this soldier, and then afterwards I started trying to medically treat him, uh, even though I was wounded, I was trying to take care of him. In that space and time, Sergeant Cash managed to go back into the vehicle and retrieve every soldier and the interpreter from our vehicle, as severely wounded as he, well, he was. So, like I said earlier about people's, uh, the spectrum of how we feel, what we think of as, as a, um, being courageous, how people have lots of adversity feel like, well, you have to be at this high level to be a, courageous and people who don't really face any adversity in their life could be something very minimal where they feel like this is courageous. When I looked at what I did and I looked at, back at what Sergeant Cash did, it was like a mountain compared to a molehill on, of, of what our actions were. So I think that compounded how I felt about how I acted in that moment. But I do know that what I did was was courageous. Most people probably wouldn't have done that. Um, and I'm glad that I was able to do the things that I did and I'm proud to have known all the people that were there and especially Sergeant Cash with how brave he was.
0: I have a lot more questions about Sergeant Cash and I and I don't think we can say too much about it. And By that I mean I don't think you can one can talk uh, too much about it. It can't be overstated, um, what he did and the sacrifices he made and, um, the leadership and the courage and all that. But I want to, for, to start with, I want to focus on you and I want to ask you, um, you didn't ask, oh, yes, you volunteered to join the military, but you didn't ask to be in that situation. That situation could have happened to any number of people. And you just happened to be the person that was in that situation at that time. And I'm I'm trying to think if this is actually going to be a question or a comment, but we'll see which way this, this ends up being. But it seems to me that sometimes circumstances demand different things of people. And you don't know what you have in you until you're in that situation. And very few people will ever be in that situation where they are tested to the degree that they'll ever find that out. And I think that's more of a comment than a question. But anyway, uh that but that's my first takeaway with it. Dave, I'm gonna I want you to comment on it too, because uh mostly so I can figure out which direction I want to go in this, but also I just think there's a lot there to to kind of think about and and mull over.
1: Well, first of all, I feel like Private Oppum that just got picked up onto Captain Miller's detail to go save Private Ryan. I mean, I <laughs> I I've got nothing that even is in the same frame of reference at all of that. So God bless you, Doug. That's just, wow. Um, but yeah, I agree until you're tested. I mean, yeah, you can think through it. You can, you can, you can train yourself. Um, but until, you know, the bullets start flying or the, or the chips are down or however, if you want to say it, you really don't know how you're going to act. And I would, I, I would play off what you mentioned, Chris, that, you know, there is value in assessment of the situation. You know, the OODA loop, all that. Observe, orient, decide, act. Because there are a lot of people that go looking for this shit, you know, and they get themselves in trouble. And, and not, you know, combat type stuff, but looking for fights. You know, there are people who, you know, would have taken one side eye from that dude on the train and jumped him, you know, because they go looking for that kind of stuff and get themselves in a lot of trouble and then it propagates down to Family trouble and and things like that. So, you know, being mature enough to assess a situation before you go jump in head first—that's that's to be commended, I would say.
0: Yeah, and I think now that I'm kind of uh, getting my wits back together um, uh, uh, over over where to go with that. I think one thing I want to throw out, uh, Doug. You know, there's that there's that kind of glib saying that. Um, it doesn't matter who you are underneath. It matters what do you do, um, and you know what do you do in the moment. And I think there's, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. That sometimes, especially in this day and age, I think we get really wrapped up with, you know, um, what's underneath and what's your soul and what's your, and, and that's all fine. But the problem is, um, let's not labor under the illusion that well, deep down, I'm a great person, but you act like an asshole every day. Um, you know, it matters what you do, uh, the end result of, of whatever's inside you, how that comes out does matter. And at your core, you might be an amazing person, but if you're not demonstrating that, it's a distinction without a difference. And I wonder that in this case, that um, we'll never know what Sergeant Cash was thinking or feeling at that moment, but I wonder if it matters, if courage matters, or if it's just the end result. You know, um, it doesn't matter if you're out of it concussed and you happen to do the right thing just because you're not thinking and you're on autopilot and, and emotionally there was never a decision point of, Hey, I'm going to be courageous about this. I'm just doing the next thing because my, my, literally my brain is not functioning the way it should. Or if it matters that you make that deep gut wrenching, courageous decision to do a very difficult thing, um, is, does the end result matter, or, or is it more important that we um, encourage people to be courageous and find that that courage in them? Or do we say, "Look, the end, the the bottom line is, you have to do the right thing, and it doesn't matter what it takes to do the right thing. Just do the right thing, and stop looking inside yourself for what needs to be aligned, and just focus on the end result. Does that make sense?" Uh, yeah, that makes
2: sense. Um, and if my opinion of that statement is that it, it doesn't matter what the end result is. I think it just matters that you try to be courageous and you try to do the right thing. Because I think that in right. the long run, right. as long as you do those right. things, then right. the good things will happen.
0: Yes. Yes. I agree, and, and let me clarify. When I said end result, what I meant is not how does the situation actually end up, but what do you actually do about it? Um, that, uh, as opposed to people that might, you know, uh, feel very courageous with their own justifications, versus well, what are you actually doing? And now you might do a bunch of things, and it, the situation might not play out the way you hoped, but you were trying to take action, and that I think is the is the virtue, um, as opposed to kind of just kind of marinating in the internal feeling of, boy, I'm really getting after it, you know, um, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, certainly. And it's funny, The one of the first things that comes to mind is uh, now that I'm becoming reacquainted with social media and uh, I see this um, pop up and it, it looks interesting. I'm not trying to bash this organization. I can't remember the name of it right now, but I keep seeing their ads pop up. Um, where they offer, um, it's a lot of uh, soft veterans, um, uh, special operations veterans that are um, offering uh, training on discomfort. Uh, they, they're like, hey, your, your life is going to get better if you can embrace discomfort. So we're going to put you in a lot of uncomfortable situations. And in 60 days, we can turn your life around and make this the best year ever. Um, and again, I'm not bashing it, um, I just am merely noting it as an interesting. Um, an interesting data point of where we are now, where people – I think there is a longing and a need for courage. And it's hard to manufacture morally courageous scenarios, but we it's much easier, I think, to manufacture scenarios that require physical courage. And um, the fact that there is a market that demands that kind of pressure and that kind of situation – speaks to how rare it is um i mean certainly doug in your situation i mean that's incredibly rare and i guess we should all be grateful that it's incredibly rare but um it's just interesting to me that 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 is that there is a market for that for people to push themselves and find out um how courageous they are i guess
2: it's funny that you mentioned that i have a next door neighbor who was a he's a group he was a group guy um, and he volunteers time for a company I think it's called Gold Rock, uh, and they have like weekends, and they'll he'll go, two guys on a twenty-five mile road march. You know, all these civilians will come over and say, "Hey, you got any spare firewood so we can throw this in their rocks?" You know, and I'll be like, "Here, take this madrona; it's heavier than the other stuff." You know, um, yeah, it is. It is pretty. Uh, it is. I was, I didn't know that that existed until he had mentioned that one time. And I was like, "What? what's this business? And he's like, yeah, you know, I just volunteer. It's all guys that are, you know, you know, old group guys or Marsock or whatever. And, you know, we volunteer our time to go do this um, for this company. Um, I think p- portion of those proceeds go towards uh, some charities, which is why he does it. Yeah. Uh, well That makes sense. Sure. But, um, yeah. I mean, I, and when I thought yeah. about it, just like you said, I, I, it's, It's kind of sad that people need to find uh, some type of uh, adversity or something strenuous in their life like that to kind of find themselves. But I think it's also um, heartwarming that people do search it out because it kind of gives you a uh, sense that not everybody is just kind of living in the matrix, you know, going along with the program you know, they want to, they want to <laughs> yeah. better themselves. Yeah. They want to have that, uh, struggle and, you know, find out who they are. I want to, p-
0: Oh, sorry, Dave, go ahead. Well, I was just going to
2: say
1: it's a common theme in a lot of like outdoorsmen hunting circles that you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable, you know, and that, you know, if, as you mentioned the, you know, the, the, the effort to take people to go learn to be uncomfortable. I was thinking, man, I, I could use some hand packing elk meat here in, in a month or so. So if, if people need that, uncomfortable experience <laughs> there's all kinds of avenues
0: i want to i want to circle back to dave the point that you made before because i think i've got a little bit of clarity i want to throw this out to you guys and see what you guys think um when you talked about physical courage and moral courage coming from the same place um i'm, I'm gonna talk I'm, I, I don't know enough of the details about this to pass judgment but i'm gonna throw this out there because this i think this was a very jarring incident, uh, uh, for me to read about, um, and I'll let me just reference it to set up what I'm about to say. So, in 2017, in Africa, um, uh, two devgrew uh, seals and two Marsot guys um, ended up killing uh, a green beret, um, and that case has been litigated for several years now, and it's been one of those um, stories that's. Just you know, I think stories in the military that are about honor and nobility and selfless service and courageous sacrifice—that's pretty straightforward and and easy to get behind. This is one of those weird stories that, I, for me, weirded me out. Um, I I will say I was in Africa at the time when that happened, and I was um, th- this resonated a bit more personally. With me, where I was like, "What the hell?" Uh, and you know, are the ramifications of this? Uh so I to me, what that sets up is a juxtaposition between and we. I, I haven't followed it mostly out of just I, I can't get that in depth; it weirds me out too much. And I'm sure at some point I'll sit down and try to research every aspect of that situation um, and why it happened and and all the rest of it, but. Um, the the big takeaway that I want to look at right now is here. You had paragons of physical courage, dev guys, Marsoc raiders, um, and you had a deficit of moral courage, where for whatever reason, they needed to kill an SF dude, an E6 SF dude that um, was doing whatever he was doing. Um, where he was. And uh, all signs point to that he was not in the wrong. Let me just clarify. Um, they were not you know, mitigating a threat that needed to be put down. It seems like something nefarious was happening on their end based off of what the news stories have been. So there seems to be a disconnect and maybe even sometimes an inverse proportion of physical courage to moral courage, that the more physically courageous you are, Maybe the less morally courageous you have to be um, because you have the physical will to make demands or affect outcomes. And therefore, you don't need to maybe, uh, like the bumper sticker says, coexist with other people. I don't want to read too much into it and make too much of it. But I think it's a point worth throwing out to you guys just to talk about the disconnect between physical and moral courage. If you guys see one or, and in the context of the story I, I brought up um, how you guys interpret that and what that says about physical versus moral courage.
1: Yeah, I it's And I'm no psychologist by any stretch of the imagination. I, I think, you know, they, they come from the same place, but there can certainly be big disconnects. I, I haven't followed that one a whole bunch, but yeah, that, that's very, it's hard to understand how, how that could possibly shake out. You know, I, my one and only um, anecdote I might offer from my tour was an instance where, you know, bullets were not flying, but we had leadership issues within our team and the, the O5 that was our team leader and my senior raider ultimately Um, had mental issues for sure. There was a point where, you know, we were all worried about him, you know, drawing on us, you know, quick draw type or something like that, even though we're, he never left the wire. We all did. But, and there was a point where he handed me, you know, a document to sign as if it was my writing and said, here, Captain Hartman, you need to sign this. And I was like, sir, I'm uh, with respect, I'm going to decline to follow your unlawful order. And I didn't know what was going to happen then. You know, I figured him, you know, he might shoot me after I did that. Or, you know, he might have a breakdown or whatever. Fast forward to a few days and inside the base camp, you know, there was a couple hundred of us and and word got around, but there was peer officers, you know, other senior NCOs, captains, majors, that sort of thing. And the common theme that I got in just bullshitting with those guys, they couldn't believe I did that. They're like, wow, you could throw your career away, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I was right. like, but it was the right thing to do. I mean, isn't that what we're all supposed to do? But it was just this, um, ama- not amazement, but just incredulousness on the part of half a dozen different peer officers I talked to that they couldn't believe somebody would do such a thing. And that, to me, that was surprising. And I thought, I, I thought we were supposed to do that sort of stuff. And looking back, I don't regret it one bit.
0: Yeah, Doug, I want to, I uh, want to add one more uh, ingredient to this stew before I toss it to you then. Um in a culture like the military where there is a premium on badges, tabs, um, you know, uh, let's call it resume building, if you will, um is there inevitably going to be a conflict between that and since a lot of those badges, tabs, et cetera, are based on physical traits and and, and physical achievements? Is, does that naturally set up a tension where, uh, that can outpace the moral, uh, or ethical components? Hmm.
2: I, I don't think so. Um, cause I've, I've worked with and met people who have been racked out, you know, three tabbers, um, uh, good people. Um, and I've met some people who had more tabs and badges than myself were not the best at their job, let's say. Um, and, but it seems to me, but, and then of course I met people who really did not have much of anything on their chest and were some of the best leaders I ever had in my entire career. Uh, my very first platoon sergeant, um, wasn't tabbed didn't have much of anything and he basically set me and a bunch of my my um my peers who who stayed on uh, all the way up through sergeant major for extremely successful careers and this is was echoed to me time and time again every different duty station that i would go to where i would outperform my peers and to me it was the things that my platoon sergeant had taught us i, I was an e4 and i was running patrols as yeah. a platoon as a platoon leader because our platoon sergeant he made us do that he would just reverse the roles and basically yeah. a private in our platoon at that and that back then 90s could could run a patrol so when i was a specialist in another unit i was just as good as the staff sergeants were when i went to my next duty station I was an E5, but I was a squad leader and I was outperforming the staff sergeants. And then, and it was just the basics of knowing your job. And, you know, and he, he, like I said, he, he wasn't all racked out and he taught me more than almost anybody in the rest of my military career in the first three years of my military career. So I don't think it, I think that some people do let it get to their head. You know, look at me, I've done this and that and the other thing. But usually the higher level people that I've worked with who have done all those things usually don't have that um, chip on their shoulder. Usually that chip goes away because once you start going through some of these tough schools, it gets knocked out of you. You know, you're not special. Look, Now you're you're doing the next step, which is harder, you know. And that just kind of goes away, you, yeah. you know, and because the better trained you are, the more intelligent we are, the more you understand asymmetrical warfare and things like that. I think that goes to the wayside. And, um, of course there are those outliers, like the story you were talking about. I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with it. And I know that from what I've read that there was some illegal activities going on and that. That staff sergeant unfortunately came to know about it and then they determined that, well, we can't let this guy, and that's what happened. But if you look overall, I think, in, in, my, in my objective perspective, at the entire military, especially in uh, current warfare in, like, say, the last couple decades, think about how many soldiers and airmen and Marines and uh, have gone to combat in combat zones and how little um, negative or adverse things have happened, yep. and when they do, it's yep. glaringly apparent. Yes. Um, but that's such a small fraction of the percentage of the people that are involved in these operations and, and in these these uh, combat zones. So I think if you just look at it from a mathematical uh, perspective. Right. It's such a small fraction. I think that really um, right. shows you how what type of fortitude and courage that most of the, the uh, military has to do their job and at least try to do it and, um, honestly and fairly and you know with a, a clear mindset of this is my job and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability.
0: Let me, let me throw this out there. Um, Dave, tell me what you think about this. I, um, I think the differentiator is what operating system are you using? I think if I, I, and again, this is a hypothesis. I'm I'm not saying I'm wedded to this, but, but the idea has crossed my mind now that when you do see those um, instances of physical courage uh, kind of going completely counter to any sort of moral courage or, or, or ethical behavior. I think that's the product of an operating system that's based on yourself. And again, this is a hypothesis, but, um, that it's, if you're, if where you gather your physical courage from comes from a, a an ego driven place where you are, um, a de facto God, where you, where your body is a temple and you are, um, you know, you're, you're a, a super heroic figure in and of yourself, I think then that can lead to perversion. I don't mean sexually, although I guess that could happen too, but I mean, just generally that, that can start to, you can start using your powers for evil. Um, but I think if your operating system is based on helping the people next to you or um, looking for ways to be of service then, um, I mean, you may have what it takes to do things at the most elite level. You may not, but your operating system will not let you start to violate a moral code or an ethical code in in kind of such horrific ways. Uh, what do you guys think about that? How does that strike you? Yeah, I I, I would agree. Um,
1: that's a lot. That's a lot to process. But yeah, it's. We've seen examples of, of both archetypes, I guess, archetypes, um, you know, people who outwardly, you know, physically strong, adept, courageous, well-trained and that sort of thing, but yet they might do the wrong thing. You know, they, there's that's pretty much part for the course in any adventure novel um, versus that same outwardly <laughs> appearing person being the good guy in the white hat doing consistently the right thing. Um, it's, it's a real life thing. It's, you know, in addition to fiction, but uh, they're both out there and, and what switch happens between the two? I, I don't know.
2: Uh, I think, uh, Dave was is exactly yeah. right. Doug, um, what do you think? But I also, I also think that, um, being around people that, um, being around people that, um, that's how they operate. Um, that's what they try to, what's the word I'm looking for. Adjectives are failing me right now. (laughs) I know the feeling that that's my daily life. People who basically percolate this type of, uh, thinking and behavior, you know, and it's, it's, um, it rubs off, you know, other people, when you're around good people, I think that you pick up those, those great traits and, um, you start to emulate the people that, you know, that you think are, you
0: know, um, Again, more adjectives are failing me. <laughs> no. no, no, no. I, I, I hear you. Um, as I say, I'm, I'm no stranger to brain farts. So, you know, I, 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 I operate in that space. The, the
1: converse is also true where if there's a lack of courage in an organization or group or, or that sort of thing, that can be infectious as well, or a lack yeah. of ethics or yeah. that sort of thing. So, you know, the positive and the negative inertia, you know, at, rubs off on the folks around you
0: yeah yeah it does um guys we're we're topped out um we've done an hour ish and uh man that flew by but i would be remiss i want to do plugs because you guys got some interesting things to talk about but i want to start the plugs by um doug asking you a little bit about al cash um just can you break down who he was as a person. Um, I mean, that obviously, it's an extraordinary example of of courage. Um, Can you just talk a little bit about who he was and so people can kind of download some idea of what kind of man this was to do those kind of things?
2: Well, I think uh, it's going to be hard to explain, but I'll try to boil it down into something short. Um, When we had spoken about how you can have the guy who's just the normal guy next to you and then he's put into an extreme circumstance and then something incredible happens um that's how i always felt about al um he was a he was a great leader and i knew he genuinely cared about us and other senior leadership around us would often tell us you don't know the the things that he's doing behind the scenes to try to get you guys a few hours of downtime you know and Um, I know I was going through some um, marital problems at the time while we were deployed, and he often came in and talked to me. He even spoke to my wife at the time and, you know, took time out of his night so he could call back to the States and take care of me. And he didn't have to do that. You know, he did that because he cared about us. Um, But when it came to combat, um, he tried to avoid it, (laughs) mostly. Um, but when it came down to it, um, I cannot tell you how amazing and heroic he was. And I did have the, the, um, privilege of speaking to him once when we made it back to the States. Um, after a few weeks I became ambulatory and I went to see him in his room and he was yeah, he couldn't move, but he told me, this is how courageous he was. And the first thing he asked me was about everybody else. Um, when we were medevaced and we landed in Ballad before we went to Longstuhl, Germany, he was refusing treatment. He was yelling at them to get off of him to treat everybody else. How are they? Where are they? Are we all here? When we were in Bamsey, he asked me, first thing he asked me when he saw me was, how is everybody else? Where are they? know um, um let me know what you find out and then he said to me you know what dodge i got up today and i took a two steps tomorrow i'm going to get up and i'm going to walk to the wall and i was looking at him like how can you be this strong you know knowing how bad you are not even worrying about yourself just worrying about everybody else i, I still couldn't fathom it and i was Nowhere near as injured as he, as he was. Um, so Al Cash, the quiet guy, country black man, <laughs> liked to drive four-wheelers and pick up trucks and listen to country music and go hunting and fishing. Where was he from? Uh, he's from Florida.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. And did he, did he stand out as a, I mean, obviously it sounds like he stood out as a leader, but when you were, Go when you're starting to head out in head out that deployment, where people like, oh, just wait till Sergeant cash is out there. Like, like he was one of those guys that's just known as like a stud, or was that not his reputation?
2: No, that wasn't his reputation at all. I mean, he was physically yeah. a stud. We knew he was a physical stud, but he he gave us the freedom, and it's in hindsight after rising through the ranks later on, and really kind of. um Uh, thinking about his styles of leadership and the way he led us it's interesting to note how he gave us the freedom to work with our guys and do the things the way we were comfortable doing it but keeping it in the constraints of being you know um, successful for the mission so he didn't really have to force his leadership style on us to influence us. He had a good way. He had a way of influencing us to be able to be successful with the mission, but giving us the freedom to use our own natural leadership styles and uh, techniques to facilitate that.
0: That is, um, that is a subject worthy of its own episode. Um, But I think everyone will appreciate Getting to know him and based off what you said and uh, and learning a little bit more about him. When was he awarded the Medal of Honor? Is it, when, when did that notice come out that he was going to get it?
2: President Trump is actually the one who signed it um, in January. And there was actually a ceremony planned. Okay. But then the weekend that the ceremony was going to be planned was uh, the Capitol Hill riots.
0: Really? Uh-huh. Um,
2: and the fam the family requested well, we don't feel safe coming up there at this time. We'll just wait till the next administration takes place um And obviously a lot's been going on <laughs> since this administration has taken over
0: so Jeez. it's kind of a waiting game right now. Wow all right that's um subject matter for another day but well uh thank you for for sharing that insight um into them that's a uh, that's incredible um if this show was four hours long, I'd have a lot more to ask about that. Uh, Dave, tell me about Brittany Medrano. She needs a kidney.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, she's she's a young lady um, in our office. I count her as a friend too. But um, the problem is she's O negative blood type, which means she can only get a kidney from somebody O negative blood type. So we're just trying to cast the net as far and wide as we can. Um, I sent you the, the GoFundMe link and not for the purpose of funds. I mean, that's not... The big deal, the big deal is she needs a kidney and there's various ladder organizations out there that, you know, if you're willing to donate a kidney, they might find it to one person and they have a donor they're tied to where it just kind of stair steps all the way down. And at the bottom of it is a person, you know, who originally needed the kidney. So if anyone is O negative and is willing to, you know, take that step in their life, I would desperately ask that you check and see if you're a valid donor.
0: That link will be in the show notes for everybody. Um, so, yeah, that would be uh, good for people to scroll down and check that out. Doug, tell me about Headstrong Project.
2: Um, Headstrong Project, uh, it's a nonprofit organization based out of New York City. Provides veterans and their families uh, with free mental health care. Therapy is confidential free and there's no application process. Um, started by Zachary Iskell. Um, it's a great
0: organization uh, to help veterans all right that link will also be in the show notes oh sorry did I cut you off no sir <laughs> okay all right. um well that link will be in the show notes everybody can check that out as well um both uh really good causes um guys I, I got uh this was a this was a look a subject like courage I knew was going to be interesting but this was uh really um powerful stuff that put me on the back foot and um Like you, Doug, I'm going to be short on adjectives, but also nouns and adverbs and everything else right now. I'm uh, kind of brain farting all over the place, but that was um, really good subject matter, and uh, wheels are kind of spinning right now. So, Doug, Dave, thank you guys for being here. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. To everyone else, if you haven't already, subscribe. Five star reviews are welcome if you're on iTunes. You can say whatever you want about us. Questions, comments, snide remarks, any kind of feedback, we welcome it all. If you can just do us the favor of attaching it to a five-star review, that would be outstanding because the metrics do matter. Show notes. I've referenced them a couple times, especially with our plugs. Uh, they will be in multiple locations. They will be at the Again, that's the weekly They will also be in the accompanying article that I write for each one of these episodes at Havoc Journal. And of course, they will also be wherever you're listening to this podcast. So if you scroll down, you will see all the show notes uh, that we have put out there for this episode. We'll also have alibis for anything I misstated, misremembered, stuff that needed more context, stuff that uh, I woke up at two in the morning and thought, why did I say that like that at that time and in that manner? Um, That's what show alibis are for. They will be there Those alibis also apply to all of our guests, although generally nobody ever takes me up on that because I'm usually the only one that desperately needs to cover my own ass with writing out some sort of alibi. As always, thanks to our producer, Mike Neal. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. My thanks again to Doug Dodge and Dave Hartman, and we'll keep trying to make order out of chaos when we see you next time for the Weekly Havoc. I was so glad that we could get into the outcash stuff. Uh, and that just is, uh, I, I think people really need to know about him. And I really liked what you brought up about the type of leader he was. I think it's easy, and this is not to bash anybody, far from it, but it's easy to, to go, oh, Navy SEAL, DEV, Delta, you know, yeah, these guys were awesome and all that, but it's something else to go, hey, here was a, a guy, look at all these little things that he was doing that meant the world the guys serving under him that he was a quality leader and then oh yeah by the way and then this is how that played out and what he ended up doing under fire I and mean, that's really that's something people should know and appreciate yeah definitely agreed thank you for letting me uh share please my pleasure and dave i don't know you and i got more living to do we gotta go out there and uh, <laughs> i don't know <laughs> right <laughs> I'm going to go jump out this window and see if I make it. I'm going to come back on the podcast and talk about, uh, you know, going airborne without a parachute. So, um, yeah, let me me see how that plays out.
1: You always think about the good stuff after the fact, too. But, yeah, I mean, the moral courage courage is not to be discounted. There's people that do it every day.